Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. If you will take your Bibles and go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. This morning we're going to look at really the impact that God's Word has on us. So as you're turning there, let me, let me give you just a little bit of background to the to the passage that we're in here this morning. Um, in chapter 6, as we saw last week, Nehemiah and his workers complete the work on the wall. And in fact, the work on the wall, it goes from shambles, from the wall being completely broken down, to completed in 52 days. And now, despite the opposition, uh, despite some hardships, despite some guys that are trying to attack Nehemiah all the, the whole way along the process, they complete the construction of the wall in less than two months. And now here we are in chapter eight and we see, we see what happens right after they finish the work on the wall. We're going to read, we're going to focus on this morning, the entire chapter, chapter uh, verses one through 18. Right now though, uh, if you will turn there with me, chapter, Nehemiah chapter 8, let's read verses 1 through 12. And let's stand together as we read the word that the Lord has given to us this morning. The word of the Lord says this, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and all those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. There are some names that I'm going to butcher here. I'm just warning you. Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maasiah stood beside him on his right. To his left were Pedaiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen, Amen. They, then they knelt low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah, who were Levites, explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Don't grieve. 
Then all the people began to eat and drink, send portions, and have a great celebration, because they had understood the words that were explained to them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity and for the privilege to gather together, to worship your name through song, to worship through giving, and to hear your word proclaimed. Will you open it to us this morning? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. You can have a seat. So this morning we're looking at worshiping in the word because they completed the work on the wall. And all of a sudden, all the people gather together. And if you see in verse 1, we're told that the people asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. The people go to Ezra. They go to the priest and they say, come declare the word of God to us. What we see here is the way the people respond, the way they hear and the way they respond to the word. The first thing that we see, the word demands attention. Demands our attention. When the word of God is read, when it's proclaimed, when you're reading it on your own, it demands our attention. Now verse 3 is one of the most fascinating verses in all of scripture to, to me. Because it says from daybreak until noon. So we're talking about six hours. The people stood and Ezra read from the book of the law. Now, now really quickly, let's think about what he's reading here. So they're saying the book of the law of Moses. At this time, all they would have had was Genesis through Deuteronomy. And for six hours, Ezra reads from Genesis to Deuteronomy. Now, from, from what we're told here, he probably didn't read it start to finish. But he reads a lot of it. And then we're told that there are all these guys whose names I'm not going to go back and butcher again. But, but all these guys are, are going throughout the crowd and it says they're explaining what's going on. So, so what I think is happening here is Ezra would read a section. And then these guys would go throughout the, the group and they would make sure that people understood what they had heard. If there was any, any uh, misunderstanding or, or anything needed clarification, they would, they would explain. So these guys were proclaiming the word that the people had already heard for six hours. Now, now, now think about this for just a second, all right? Genesis, I'm good with, okay? We could read Genesis start to finish. That's awesome. Exodus, for the most part, is, is, is cool. You got some good stories in there. A few parts that get kind of redundant when they start talking about sowing all the, all the tabernacle on. But y'all, then they get to Leviticus. That's part of what he does for six hours is he's reading Leviticus to the people. And the people are standing at attention. And in fact, uh, verse Three, at the end of it, it says, all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. When you're reading the Bible, do you have a tendency to let your mind wander elsewhere? Can, can I be honest, man? There are times I'll get up in the mornings and, and I'll, I'll read a couple of chapters of the Bible. And I'll get done. And I think to myself, what on earth did I just read? Because even though I'm going through the motions, there are times my attention's not set on it. 
And so I'm not, I'm not trying to be legalistic and say, well, you know, you should never have any distraction. Listen, life is distracting, right? It, it happens. Listen, I, I know full well, all right, as much as, as much as pastors dream about, like, you going to lunch and just being in awe about the words that you've heard here, I know it doesn't happen, okay? Like, there are times on Thursday I'll be going, what on earth did I preach Sunday morning? Really? What would it look like if we, as the people of God, focused our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the word of God? Not just while we're in here, but day in and day out, if we were people who were paying attention to the word of God. Now, in verse 5, we see something that's kind of symbolic. Um, in verse 5, as he opens the book of the law, all the people stood up. Now, this is where, this is why I've kind of started uh, implementing us standing when, when we read the word at the beginning of the message time. And the, the question here is, is this prescriptive? In other words, is this something that all people are supposed to do for all time? Or is it descriptive, just kind of telling us what they did at this time? I, I tend to think, I tend to lean toward this being descriptive. It tells us what they did. They op Ezra opened the word. The people stood up in response to the word. I don't think I can say this is meant for all times and all places. For one thing, because in the New Testament, the culture there, we see this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus begins to teach, he sits down. And that, that signals that he's about to teach out of God's word. And so I would, not, I would never say to all churches everywhere, you have to stand when you read the word of God. It's, it's something that I've, I've developed through the years. Something that, that I appreciate doing. It, it's a way for us to show honor and respect. And in our culture, we still stand to show respect. Someone of importance walks in the room, you stand. <clears throat> Men, when a lady walks in the room, you're still supposed to stand, right? But what we see before this, though, because you can stand even as we're reading the word of God and not be honoring the word of God. Outward actions don't necessarily mean that you're committed to honoring inside. What we see here, though, however, is that Ezra had already committed himself to the word of God. Because back in Ezra chapter 7, which is really kind of part one of Ezra Nehemiah. All right, so I pulled a Star Wars and I started this in the middle of the story. In Ezra chapter 7, look at this. It says, Now Ezra determined in his heart to study the law of God, obey it, and teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. What I love about this, it says that first, he determined to study the, the word and to obey it before he began to teach it. Amen. Can I just tell you, as a, as a pastor and as a preacher, this is a convicting verse to me. I have to sit back sometimes and think, have I, have I purposed in my heart to study the word and to obey it before I step in the pulpit to teach it? So, so what does this look like then? If, if we are called to be people who are committed to the word, and that is one of the things that has marked Southern Baptists from the very beginning, we wanted to be people of the book. 
want to be people who stand under Scripture, meaning that Scripture is the authority for us. What does that look like? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this, this passage called the Shema that, that, um, that would have been recited by Jews regularly, it tells us how they committed themselves to the word of, God, to the, word of the Lord. It says, uh, these words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. In our culture, that would mean as you drive, right? So when you get in your car with your family, what, what, what do we do? We talk about the word. When you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand. Let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. The call here is to be immersed in the word of God. We are giving our attention to the word. We're surrounding ourselves with the word. So so a real simple question for us then is, are you immersed in the word? Are you immersed in the word? Are you seeking to surround yourself with the word of God? So the word demands our attention. Secondly, what we see here is that the word demands an answer. As we move in to to verses 7 through 12, and and really what I wanted to say here is the word demands a response, but in order to, I'm trying to keep my my letters the same. So, So an answer and a response, it's the same thing, all right? We have to do something with it. As I've said before, it's not enough just to, just to spend time reading your Bible in the morning and then shut it and go, okay, done. I'll check that off in my offering envelope this week. We've got to do something with it. So beginning in, in verse 7 through 12, we have this section that talks about the way the people responded. One of the ways the people were responding was in repentance, and that was leading them to weep. And, and, and I find this interesting, because in a couple of weeks, when we get into chapter 9, we're going to see that there was this national call to repentance for, for the whole nation of Judah. They, they repented. And, and yet here, Ezra and, and the Levites come back and say, no, now is not a time for weeping. That, that time will come. Right now is a time for rejoicing. In fact, he has to tell him, don't, don't mourn or weep. In verse 10, he says, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet, send portions to those who have nothing prepared. Since today is holy to our Lord, do not grieve. Look here, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, he's saying, listen, celebrate what God has done among us. He's repaired our walls. We're safe. Some of the, some of the glory of Jerusalem has been restored, and thus we are better reflecting the glory of God. So rejoice. And so I think the same thing is true for us. We have to respond to the word of God. And this is how David uh, talks about his response. Psalm 95, verses 6 through 8. It says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. And then he gives us a caution. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness. He's referring to a day in the wilderness for the Israelites. 
But the Israelites decided not to heed the voice of the Lord. And he's saying, don't, don't be like that. Instead, if you hear the Lord's word, respond to him. Come, let us worship and bow down. And so then after, after Ezra gives them this, uh, this instruction, listen, don't weep. That, that time will come. But for right now, we need to rejoice in what the Lord has done. The people respond. How they, do they respond? They begin to rejoice in verse 12. They, they did what they were told. They, they began to eat and drink. They begin to send portions. So not only were they eating and drinking, they were, they were sending some food to those who didn't have any food so that they could join in the celebration. They didn't want others to miss out. They began to have a great celebration. Look at this. Because they understood the words that were explained to them. They're rejoicing because they understood the word of God. Hey, when's the last time you threw a party because you came to understand something about the word of God? Where God, God revealed something in his word that maybe you'd missed before. And all of a sudden you're like, man, this is awesome. Like, I'm calling my friends. We're going to have pizza, and we're, we're going we're gonna to throw a party. All your friends show up. What's going on? Man, I was reading the Bible, and God, God showed me this. And you're throwing a Super Bowl party for, yes! See, God's word should bring us comfort and should bring us joy, particularly if you're a follower of Christ. Um, so I've thrown up, I hope you can see this. I know our, our projector is a little, uh, it's a little dark. And by the way, by next week, I'll have to have this one working also. So, so that's our plan this week is to get both projectors working. I pulled a Peanuts cartoon that I wanted to show because I, just, I think this is fantastic. So, so you have Lucy. She says, boy, look at, the, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Linus says, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Lucy says, you've taken a great load off my mind. And I love Linus's response. Sound theology will do that. You've taken a great load off my mind. Yeah, sound theology will do that. The word of the Lord properly understood brings comfort to the believer. When's the last time you were comforted by something in the Word of God? Maybe, maybe you're in a situation and it doesn't, doesn't look like there's a whole lot of light at the end of the tunnel. When our circumstances don't line up with, what's, with what God's Word says, what are you going to believe? Henry Blackaby, I, I use this a lot. I'm wearing this quote out. I'm going to continue to wear it out unapologetically because it makes sense. In experiencing God, Henry Blackaby says, don't draw your conclusions about God based on your circumstances. Don't make your conclusions about who God is from the middle of your circumstances. This morning in our Sunday school class, we, we talked about, um, looked at the passage in Luke 24 of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Right, right after the crucifixion and, and all of a sudden the stories are starting to come out that the women went to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there. And what does this mean? So the two guys are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus shows up and starts walking beside them. And, and, and he plays dumb and starts asking them questions. Their eyes are blinded. They don't realize it's Jesus. And they're wrestling with some stuff in the middle of their circumstances. 
Jesus starts asking them questions. Hey, what? so anything new in town this week? And they kind of look at him and they're like, are you serious? Are you living under a rock? Have you not heard about all the stuff that's going on here? And, they, and Jesus says, no, what, what, what stuff? What are you talking about? So they start talking, man, there was this guy, Jesus. We thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was going to restore Jerusalem. And then on Friday, they killed him. And we don't know what to do with ourselves. And then it gets even weirder because this morning, some of our women went to the tomb to, to go prepare his body, and, and he wasn't there. This enormous stone was rolled away, and he wasn't there. And we don't know what to make of it. And it says Jesus starts, and, and he begins teaching them from the law and the prophets everything that was going to happen, which, by the way, he had already done. He had been telling them this for three years. In fact, right before he goes to Jerusalem, he says, hey, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and um, things are going to go bad pretty quickly, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to kill me. But don't worry, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. But what happens? It says the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. And so what happens? They go to Jerusalem. Tide turns against him. He's beaten. He's killed. And their world's turned upside down. They don't know what to do. These guys on the road to Emmaus, their worldview has been completely rocked. And yet, God was exactly who he said he was. He did exactly what he, was, what he said he would do. They get back to the house. They break bread, and all of a sudden they realize that it's Jesus, and he's, and he's gone. And their view about their circumstances changed as soon as they realized Jesus had walked with them the whole way. Don't draw your conclusions about God from the middle of your circumstances. Instead, when your circumstances and God's word don't match up, trust the word that stood for the last 2,000 years not your circumstances that will end in a moment. Last thing I want us to understand is this. The word demands adoration of the Lord. Verses 13 through 18, what we have is a section, and, and what we're told is that the people observe this festival of booths where they move out and they live in tents. It's a way to remember their wandering in the desert. And it's a celebration of what God did, how he led his people, despite their unfaithfulness in the desert. It reminds them that God is faithful to his promises and his people, even when his people are not faithful to him. And they were commanded to do this every year. But then if you look at verse 17... We're told this, the whole community that had returned from exile made shelters and lived in them. Look here. The Israelites had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. They, they'd been disobedient. God had commanded them to, to observe this celebration so that they remembered what he had done in, in their history. That he, how he had brought his people out of the desert, out of Egypt, into the desert. And despite their unfaithfulness, he was faithful to his promise to deliver them to the promised land. And they had been unfaithful. Again, they had been disobedient in keeping this. And so all of a sudden, in response to what the Lord has done, they observe this celebration. It kind of be like us 
not celebrating Christmas for a couple hundred years. Which, look, look, that's like the worst thing imaginable to me, okay? I'm a Christmas nut, so listen, man. News that Hobby Lobby's coming in, I'm like a kid in a candy store, all right? Because, y'all, they'll start putting Christmas decorations out in August, and they're half off, right? I mean, it's, man, sorry, okay. So, so it's like, it's like they have, it's like not celebrating Christmas for like 200 years, and all of a sudden, people going, hey, let's celebrate Christmas. Let's, Let's rejoice in that God sent a Savior to the world. And the people rejoiced. Why? Because they're being obedient to what God has called them to do. Listen here. If worship is not accompanied by obedience, it's not worship. If worship is not accompanied by obedience, it's not worship. Now, the reason I said that the word demands adoration of the Lord, because reading the word, studying the word, getting to know the word is never an end in itself. If you do that, you'll become like one of the Pharisees who knew the law inside and out, and they missed the point of the law. They couldn't see the maker for the forest. We don't want to turn the Bible into an idol where we begin to think that that we study it for the sake of studying it. No, we, we study the word. We immerse ourselves in the word so that we can know better the God of the Bible. The word will always point us somewhere and it will point us to the to praise and adore God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And worship according to the word will always focus on who God is and what he's done. Look at me at Psalm 19. I've put a couple of verses of this in your outline, but but I want to expand on that just a little bit. Psalm Psalm 19, uh, verses 7 through 10. It says this, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts, of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Now look what David just did. He he just, man, he he just praised the law, saying it's good. Why? Because it, it points me to the Lord. And then verse 10, they are more desirable than gold. Than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Now, again, think about David's Bible. This is Genesis through Deuteronomy. He's talking about Leviticus here. It's sweeter than honey. Leviticus, where all read through the Bible in a year plans go to die, right? That, that's, Leviticus is where they fall apart. And yet, David says, listen, it leads me to know my God better. It's more desirable to me than gold. It's sweeter than honey. This is the kind of hunger I want for the word of God. Maybe I should say this is the kind of hunger I want for the God of the word. 
When's the last time you were in the Word of God and said, I just can't get enough? I want to know more so that I can know him more. When's the last time you said with Paul, I want to know him? And I even want to know what it's like to share in his sufferings so that I might know him more. Hebrews 4.12 gives us a promise. For the word of God is living and active, living and effective. Maybe yours says active, mine says effective. And sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So listen, the word demands our attention. Demands an answer. Demands we do something with it. And it demands adoration of the Lord. And listen, when, when, when you get in and start doing, start, start paying attention to the word of God. What we're going to find is this is not just another book. Black ink on white pages begins to go to work in your life and in my life sharpening us. Cutting out some stuff that doesn't need to be there. Adding some stuff in that that does need to be there. So that we might look more and more like Christ Jesus. Are you committed to the word of God? as much as anything else we do as a church. I want to lead us to be people of the book. And that only happens when I become a man of the book and when you become men and women of the book. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather and worship this morning. I thank you for the grace of your word given to us in scripture. That we don't have to wonder what you would say to us because you've already said it. That we don't have to say, I wish that God would just speak to me because you've already spoken. I repent of my own shortcomings. For those weeks when I'm only in the word because I know I have to teach it. So God, I pray that you would give me the conviction of Ezra who says I need to study it and I need to obey it before I go to teach. Pray for the people of First Baptist Church and the people in in this room that we would be men, women, children, teenagers who seek to live lives like Deuteronomy 6 describes where we are surrounded with your word.
Not just so we can know it, not just so we can quote Bible verses and impress our friends, but so that we might know you better. We might love you deeper. And as we come to know and love and be known by you, that spills out into those around us. That our love and our desire to follow after you would be contagious to other believers around us. It would pique curiosities of those in our lives who don't, ne- who don't yet know you. We need your strength. We need your courage. We need your grace to guide us and to pick us up when we fall. We thank you so much for sending Christ Jesus to provide that way of grace for us. We ask all these things in his mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.